Good morning, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, are you worried about the impact distance learning and prolonged screen time has had on your child's eyesight? Perhaps you should be. The information parents need to know as we head toward another school year. Also this morning, just when the job market is starting to rebound from the effects of the pandemic, will the spread of the Delta variant put us back where we started? We get analysis from Bankrate Senior Economic Analyst Mark Hamrick. And we have more tasty and easy-to-make recipes from Kyra's Kitchen to finish up the week. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, August 13th, 2021. In addition to being Friday the 13th, it is International Left-Handers Day today. I am a lefty. It is my day today. Uh, also, National Filet Mignon Day and National uh, Prosecco Day. What is that? I don't know. How did that even get in there? If Generally, <laughs> as a rule of thumb, uh, if I can't pronounce it, we, <laughs> we, we don't talk about it. I don't know what that is. Anyway... Uh, So a a happy Friday the 13th to you. So this is the first thing you need to know this morning, the most uh, important, the most buzzworthy uh, story of the day. And I called this, um, was talking about it a couple of weeks ago in the aftermath of the big Lollapalooza concert in Chicago uh, two weeks ago now. And I talked about this. We can go back and and get the tape and, and play it back. I said it will be very interesting in a couple of weeks' time to see how many cases of the coronavirus can be traced back to Lollapalooza. Like some 100,000 people there or more, all in close contact. And I saw the the, uh, video and I saw uh, images, didn't see a whole lot of masks, but they did require that everybody show proof of a COVID vaccination. And I said, it'll be interesting to see if this turns into a super spreader event. Well, this is the story this morning on the Newswire. A Chicago health official says Lollapalooza, the big music festival, was not, I repeat, was not a super spreader event. Public Health Commissioner Dr. Allison Arwadi, I think is how you pronounce it, said that about 16 out of a thousand unvaccinated people who managed to get into the festival later tested positive for the coronavirus. Just 16 out of a thousand. Remember, uh, it was like a hundred thousand people that were there. So it was the vast majority uh, were vaccinated. Only about a thousand unvaccinated people and only 16 cases Uh, of the coronavirus among those among the vaccinated the numbers were even better about four out of ten thousand she said the numbers were about what they expected them to be she stressed some of these people also could have contracted the virus either before or after attending the festival so we don't even know if those 16 out of a thousand unvaccinated or four out of ten thousand vaccinated actually contracted the virus at the festival. It might have been something else entirely. So the the end result, I think the bottom line, what we have learned 
from this big experiment that it turned out to be. And I, as I said on this program, uh, all of those people that attended Lollapalooza ended up becoming real-life guinea pigs in this, uh, in this experiment. What that tells me, and I'm not a health professional, I will freely admit that, but what that tells me is that if you get to a 90% vaccination rate, then this whole pandemic thing is over. That's it. It's done. You want to stop talking about it? You want to stop? I, you can you can throw out all of the conspiracy theories that you want about uh, you know big medicine, big pharma, big government, the CDC, Dr. Fauci, whatever you want, but the numbers tell the story. And all of these people at Lollapalooza, literally a handful of virus cases trace back and 90% of the people plus were vaccinated. Uh, that's That should tell you all you need to know uh, with respect to the effectiveness of the uh, vaccine. By the way, uh, in related news, AEG, the largest live event promoters in the world, are now requiring a proof of vaccination uh, for their events. Begins on October 1st. So concerts... Promoted by AEG, uh, people will have to show proof of vaccination. But uh, the numbers speak for themselves. And like I said, uh, of all of the pictures and videos that I saw of Lollapalooza, what I didn't see were masks and certainly no social distancing. So, you know, we get the uh, vaccination, we get to 90%. This is over. It's all of the proof that I need. In any event, some of the other uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to start your Friday morning off An Oregon school district has voted this week to ban all political signs, flags and articles of clothing. Uh, and that applies to both students and staff at the Newburgh public schools. The school board says they will later decide what defines political how they define that but they just passed the general ordinance uh, for now uh, and uh, during the during a community hearing on the issue uh, things like black lives matter messages and lgbtq pride flags were repeatedly brought up as as examples but again they haven't set the parameters just simply saying that political signs, flags, and articles of clothing will not be allowed. The uh, director of the school board, uh, Brian Shannon, uh, who was in favor of the ban, said the goal is to get political symbols and divisive symbols out of our schools so that we can focus on the already difficult task of educating students uh, in the core subjects. But board member Brandy Penner who called the ban anti-free speech, anti-free expression, and anti-safety, pushed back on that argument, saying that the top-performing schools in the state of Oregon actually had diversity coordinators on staff and diversity statements. So, you make of that what you will, I think it would be very interesting to ultimately see how they define political signs, flags, and articles of clothing, what specific uh, things are they going to, what specific messages are they going to ban? But uh, anyway, that's the, uh, 
that's the latest on on that. Is still, I know, I understand what you're what you're trying to do. You're trying to eliminate these divisive symbols, as they said, but uh, you can certainly make the argument that a policy like this is in itself divisive. So there's no winning. You can't you can't win in in this argument. But uh, that won't stop them from trying. The new census numbers are out, and this is kind of interesting. Make of this what you will. Again, I'm not going to comment on it. I'm just going to give you the data, and you make of it what you will. But America's white population shrank for the first time in the latest census numbers. Caucasians now account for 57.8% of the U.S. population. That is the lowest percentage in history. The nation's white population shrank for the first time since the census began in 1790 from 224 million in 2010 to 204 million in 2020. However, the overall population grew 7.4% in the past decade. That is the second lowest growth rate overall in history. Kind of interesting. Again, I'm not going to uh, make any comments on it. You make of it what you will, but interesting data nonetheless. Bad news for older Americans. New research shows that there is not much difference between the metabolism in a teenager and the metabolism of a 40, 50 year old. So you cannot blame your middle-aged middle-aged spread <laughs> on lower metabolism. Uh, they say the metabolism reaches adult levels by age 20 and does not start to decline until age 60. Uh, Professor John Speakman, co-author of this uh, research at the University of Aberdeen, said previously there was a suggestion that metabolism might slow in your 30s. And that was then thought to cause susceptibility to middle-aged spread. But we found no evidence to support that. So if you are piling the weight on and your waistline is expanding in your 30s and 40s, it ain't because your metabolism is slowing down. You're just eating more. <laughs> You're eating more and expending less energy, and that's the bottom line. Sorry about that. Well, there you go. It is Friday the 13th, so we had to have a story kind of like that. Something like that was going to be in there. And uh, lastly, because we always have to have something to worry about, here is the uh, latest uh, sound the alarm story. The good news is that scientists have a better handle on asteroid Bennu's whereabouts for the next 200 years. They know where it's going to be. The bad news is that this giant space rock, considered one of the two most hazardous known asteroids in our solar system, has a slightly greater chance of clobbering Earth than previously thought. Scientists report the odds are still quite low that this asteroid will hit us in the next century, they say uh, uh, scientists with NASA's Center for Near-Earth Object Studies says we should not be worried about it too much. <laughs> I love how he qualifies that by saying we shouldn't worry about it too much. Uh, says the odds of, a, of this asteroid Bennu 
B-E-N-N-U, Bennu, asteroid Bennu striking Earth. The odds have gone from 1 in 2,700 to 1 in 1,750 over the next century or two. Uh, scientists, it says, have a much better idea, and we're able to uh, close those odds a bit thanks to NASA's uh, OSIRIS-REx spacecraft. Uh, so the uh, professor says, I think overall the situation has improved. So the odds are better that we're going to get hit, but at least we know <laughs> is the way they're looking, looking at it. At least we know that we may be doomed. <laughs> I Somehow that doesn't make me feel a whole lot better, but anyway, there you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your TGI Friday morning started. WFIN News, I'm John Marshall. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast, showers and thunderstorms likely today, cloudy and humid but not as hot with a high in the mid-80s. The annual Flag City Balloon Fest is set to take flight this weekend after having missed a year last year. Events are planned for Friday through Sunday at Emory Adams Park on the city's south side. There are four mass balloon flights scheduled for the event. Kelly Bibbler says that this event is a big draw with balloonists coming from across the country. We have over 40 balloons that will be here. Among other activities are balloon lighting events at 9 o'clock on both Friday and Saturday evenings, a fireworks show at 9.30 Friday night, music, games, and more. Find a link to the event schedule on our website. The Ohio prison system plans to digitally scan virtually all incoming mail for inmates to thwart drugs smuggled by soaking them into the paper, ONN's Daniel Barnett reports. The agency says each prison facility will have scanning equipment to digitally copy mail under a contract with a company called GTL. The contract is worth an estimated $22.7 million annually. The scanned mail will be delivered to tablets or wall-mounted kiosks that inmates already have access to. Legal mail will be exempt from being digitized. A spokesperson for the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Correction says that in the interim, the agency has been photocopying thousands of pages of mail per month. Daniel Barnett, ONN News. Police have arrested a suspect who they say killed two men he met on a dating app. 19-year-old talent A. Christian Bradley was taken into custody at his home. Investigators say he admits to stabbing 62-year-old Robert Goodrich to death back in May in Westerville. Bradley is also accused in the death of 63-year-old Randy Gwertz, whose body was found in his Columbus home the same day. Bradley allegedly met both victims through the Grinder app. And a man is in custody accused of stealing a Metro bus and taking it on a joyride. Authorities say the bus was stolen on Thursday afternoon from a Speedway gas station on Springfield Pike in Woodlawn after the driver stepped off for a layover. The suspect the bus to Mason, Ohio, before abandoning the vehicle and fleeing on foot. More news online anytime at WFIN.com. I'm John Marshall, WFIN News. Well, with the kids heading back to class very soon, are you worried about the impact that distance learning and prolonged screen time has had on your child's eyesight? Perhaps you should be. Experts say more time in front of digital devices paired with drastically reduced time outdoors over the course of the past year are factors that contribute to myopia, or nearsightedness, which already impacts over half of American children and was not helped by the limitations of the past year to 18 months, compounded by the fact that many children, just like adults, have missed or skipped regular wellness screenings. Millicent Knight is a doctor of optometry with us this morning, and Dr. Knight... 
There's a recent uh, survey uh, looking at how children's lifestyle changes during the pandemic may have impacted their vision. What were the results? Chris, let me start first with myopia, explaining what that is. Uh, myopia, first of all, is an irreversible progressive condition, often referred to as nearsightedness, where an individual has difficulty seeing things clearly at distance, but often can see well up close. And a recent survey by the Global Myopia Awareness Coalition shows that 50% of parents are now reporting that their children are spending more than four hours a day using electronic devices. Now, that's e-schooling, that's uh, gaming, that's using their cell phones for communication, um, but that's up from 18% prior to the pandemic. So we're really seeing some increases in this area. And again, as childhood myopia rates are increasing, uh, where one out of three children are now affected, that's really critical that we do something about it now. Wow, one in three. And do you draw a line straight to that increased screen time to explain the prevalence of this? We know that that's a significant contributing factor. There are also other factors, including genetics and also environment. Um, children are, because they're spending so much time indoors, they're not going outside anymore. They're not playing. They're not looking off at distance. They're not flexing those eye muscles. They're keeping their eyes in an unnatural near posture for extended periods of time, which the system is not accustomed to. So what are some of the signs that parents and caregivers should watch out for that may indicate that their child is struggling with their vision? Well, often um, you may notice the child squinting particularly if they're looking at things at a distance. Or the teacher may send a note home saying, indicating that the child is distracted, uh, not focused, and maybe disruptive in class. And often it's related to the fact that they can't see the whiteboard clearly. Um, so they're, they're not engaged. So a regular comprehensive eye examination is the only way to determine whether or not the child has myopia. And the good news is that there are now new treatment options available and the doctor can determine what's best for the child. So uh, it, it, just as a, to interject there, teachers uh, are, have gotten really good at recognizing uh, a lot of these warning signs because, like you said, it, it because they can see up close but can't see at a distance, uh, teachers uh, start to know, uh, recognize when kids can't see those lessons being presented at the at the front of the room. So for a number of parents, that may be the first uh, warning sign. And obviously, again, because the kids were not in school over the course of the past year, compounded by the fact that we were all skipping regular checkups and, and so on, uh, now we've got a, a bit of a challenge to uh, get caught up. You mentioned, obviously, getting the kids into the eye doctor, getting those checkups is the uh, really only way to properly diagnose and, and fix the issue. Are there other things that uh, that parents can do to make sure that if children aren't exhibiting uh, signs of this, that we keep their eyesight healthy? Well, you know, um, 72% of parents do trust their pediatrician and are taking their children in to see their pediatrician to flag any eye issues. And the pediatricians are good stakeholders uh, in ensuring that they may check the vision, but they also refer into the optometrist or ophthalmologist mm -hmm. to check not only the vision, but also to check how well the eyes are working together. 
And ironically, with all of the digital device issues and the challenges that we know that these are presenting, a recent survey from GMAC also indicated that only 56% of the parents are actually worried about their child's eyesight. Hmm. And more importantly, only 25% of the parents have actually taken their children into the eye doctor since the pandemic began. Yeah. So again, we've got to prioritize that because that is the only way to determine whether or not the child has myopia. It is progressive, and we want to catch it early. And along those same lines, uh, there is a uh, recent video uh, that's been uh, put out. It's, uh, let's see, it says Little Kid License Video uh, Designed to Encourage uh, Eye Exams for Kids, because especially for young kids, uh, they can be a little apprehensive uh, about this. Exactly. The Little Kid's License Video is so cute and it's so fun, and the kids were so engaged with it. And it's really designed to help them get comfortable with the idea of having an eye examination. So adults have to go in and have an eye examination before they can get their license. And so in this case, the children have to go in for an eye examination so that they can get their license, <laughs> so that they can get on the track. And they just have so much fun with it. That is, uh, that is really cute. Where do we find that, by the way? You can find that on allaboutvision.com forward slash GMAC. Allaboutvision.com Mac. Yeah, just wanted to make sure you got that. Uh, yeah, in. we'll make sure that we uh, get that linked up on our webpage as well, so folks can uh, check that out. It's an important reminder again as we uh, get set for uh, back to school, he- uh, kids heading back to class here in the uh, very near future. That we need to make sure that their uh, eyes are functioning properly. If not, get those uh, vision issues corrected so that they can do well in the classroom and beyond that in in life. And uh, as we mentioned, uh, we're we're not going to eliminate eliminate the screen time uh the kids will still be on their computers kids will still be playing their video games with their phones and and so on and and really as an extension of what we've talked about before with all of us using our screens we need to make sure that we start practicing good eye health habits with respect to our screens as well Yes, I like to call that using good ocular hygiene, and we adults have to lead by example. So that also includes uh, shutting the digital devices down at least an hour before bedtime um, so that the natural hormone melatonin can kick in and the child gets a a nice rest Mm -hmm. so that they can be prepared for school in the morning and us for work. So, um, yeah, those are things that you can do. And just taking breaks. We have to re- you, yeah. You're not going to take children away from the digital devices. They need them for school. But they do need to take breaks. They do need to go outdoors. They do need to flex their eye muscles. Um, these are all critical, important things to do. Yeah, just looking away for a few seconds uh, every so often seems like something really simple, but it can make a big difference. It can make a big difference. Every 20 minutes or so, we like to say, look at at least 20 feet away and try and do that for at least 20 seconds. And those small little things can make a big difference in how well the eyes function and hopefully in slowing down the progression of myopia. Absolutely. Again, uh, Dr. Millicent Knight with us this morning talking eye health for all of us, but particularly for kids as we head toward back to school. Dr. Knight, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Chris, thank you for the invitation.
You know, when the history books are written on the economic impact of the coronavirus pandemic, it will be a story of stops and starts, and it's looking increasingly like that story has not yet been fully written. Joining us once again this morning is Bankrate Senior Economic Analyst Mark Hamrick. And Mark, I, I so want to get to the point where we can sort of analyze this in the rearview mirror, but every time it seems like we may be on the downslope on the backside, along comes something new. This time it's the Delta variant that threatens to undo much of the progress that we've made to this point. Well, that's the work of journalism, isn't it? Sort of <laughs> catching history on the fly, and then we have a chance to go back and uh, essentially uh, add the observations that can be made after the fact. But you're absolutely right in terms of what we pay attention to a bank rate in particular, and that is impacts on the economy and our personal finances. The good news is that unlike uh, the flare-up in the uh, Delta variant that we've seen of late, which obviously does have significant implications for the economy, the broader economy is healing, and we've seen that in the national jobs data. We've had a big decline in the July unemployment rate down five-tenths of one percent to 5.4 percent. Growth this year is expected to be stellar. It may be that uh, some of that growth is going to not be quite as strong here in the second half because of Delta, et cetera. And then most recently, uh, we looked at new jobless claims, which is a proxy for layoffs or fresh job loss. On a national level, that number not quite down to a new pandemic low, but hovering just above it, down 12,000 to 375,000. In the state of Ohio, very little change, down by 500 to uh, about 10,300. So I think that we are uh, looking at further improvement in the economy, broadly speaking, uh, but uh, the Delta variant is not making it any better and in fact may make it worse well and and that's the thing i mean you mentioned the uh, jobless uh, claims numbers pretty much in line with expectations tempered though they may be the drop in the unemployment rate let me ask you about that real quickly because a, a lot of times people will point to drops in the unemployment rate if they want to cold throw cold water on that and say well that is a function of fewer people uh in the job market more people dropping out of the job market do you see that here no, not in this number. In fact, we had more people uh, jumping back in and more people yeah. looking. But there, there is no doubt that uh, we've seen during the pandemic uh, absolutely people exiting the labor force. And uh, it will take probably uh, what we hope will be, you know, that uh, better time ahead down the road where uh, both our society and workplace are deemed safe. Hope we get to that point. Uh, and, of course, we have problems on the global scene as well with the uh, COVID raging uh, globally, and that dampens uh, demand for U.S. products and services uh, in those markets and also complicates the supply chain component, which has been such a big story, you know, both uh, lending to higher prices across the board, but also in some cases just making it difficult or impossible to get what it is that we need to purchase, whether we're a consumer or an enterprise. Um, we saw more people back in the labor force in July we have had about 2 million additional retirements during the pandemic. So that's taken a lot of boomers out of employment. That's obviously then going to be a better opportunity for younger workers. And we've seen uh, many women exit the labor force uh, for probably a multitude of reasons, not the least of which includes the fact that obviously many children couldn't go to school. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it fell upon parents then to uh, 
figure out a way to uh, work around that. The good news there is that obviously there's still a huge number of job openings, uh, which will bode well for, again, those newly unemployed uh, and also for those who may have jumped out of the job market who have yet to jump back in. Yeah, fresh news on that this week. In fact, uh, the Labor Department's JOLTS report, Job Openings and Labor Turnover Survey, found 10.1 million job openings at the end of June. That was a record uh, and uh, matches up nicely uh, to some degree with the high number of still unemployed. Uh, we also saw more people quitting their jobs with the level and rate of so-called quits uh, on the rise. And that typically uh, speaks to the notion that people feel confident to leave their jobs, whether they're moving immediately to a new position or uh, just basically saying, you know, they'll take this job and, you know, do what with it. <laughs> right. Uh, right. So, uh, so, you know, that broadly is, is a positive development, but obviously employers are struggling in many cases to get the resources they need on the labor side and, and consumers are, are I would say urged to try to remain as patient as possible because you know you just might have to wait a few minutes for that hamburger or entree to be delivered if you're in a restaurant right. setting hotels I've been at this summer have not had uh, the staffing that they would typically have and that's meant that they've had to make changes whether it's not delivering the breakfast that might be available or complimentary in some settings and that that's just sort of emblematic of the situation we're in right now. Yeah, and I kind of liken that to a car on the highway. You blow a tire. Uh, the uh, travel and, and tourism industry, in large part, restaurants and and bars and and all of that that falls under that umbrella, uh, are not stranded on the side of the road anymore necessarily. But they're uh, but they're moving down the road slowly on that donut tire. They're not quite back up to full speed yet. Well, they may, in fact, have to restrict their travel in that regard. You know, a number of businesses have either cut back on their hours open uh, yeah. or, uh, you know, had to make adjustments along those lines. And uh, and that does dampen economic activity and obviously uh, curtails their ability to generate sales, revenues, and ultimately profits. And, sure. and also to... And- basically get to that level of employment they and, want. and uh again with the resurgence of this uh, delta variant now even if and, and a lot of places ohio is is one of them where they say we're not going to go back to lockdowns we're not going to you know go back to all of these restrictions but you know people may self-impose their own restrictions which threatens to undo some of the progress uh in travel tourism entertainment uh restaurants those kinds of things yeah, well said, and I think we're seeing that. Uh, we've had both Frontier and Southwest Airlines say they're seeing impacts on higher cancellations and right. lower bookings on airfares, and also open tables indicating that fewer people are booking restaurant reservations. So, um, you know, they could have the impact of basically uh, forestalling some economic activity either into later this year or into next. But the other part is that there is some thinking right now that basically we may have seen a peak in the U.S. economy uh, or are experiencing that right now. Uh, and that means that, um, you know, we're just not going to have some of the positive influences that have been present that include the significant federal spending uh, that, uh, that include also, for example, the uh, additional 
uh, pandemic federal unemployment assistance that is set to expire right. here early in September. Yeah. And then uh, just to go back and underscore what you were uh, saying, this is not just uh, a- an issue for that segment of the economy, either uh, given the global nature of our supply chain and uh, the, as you said, the, the the spread of this globally is going to reduce demand for uh, American pro- uh, products potentially. So uh, again, this has a trickle-down effect through the entire economy just underscores the fact that we're not out of the woods yet. The impacts are global and they're thorough. And so, you know, if you're a farmer and you're worried about exporting pork, right. uh, you may have some concerns about that. Uh, just the, the ability to get it transported. We have a shortage of truck drivers. We yeah. have a shortage of capacity on trains. And cargo ships are basically backed up off of West Coast forces, West Coast ports and unable to offload, which means then the ability to onload and, and be on their journey back to their destinations uh, in the Far East uh, is also curtailed. So a lot of positive uh, numbers, a lot of positive data, there are reasons to be optimistic, but it, of course, as we said, uh, very much tempered with the unknowns, and that story, as we said, has uh, not been fully written yet on the economic impact of the coronavirus, far from it. Again, Bankrate Senior Economic Analyst Mark Hamrick with us uh, this morning. Mark, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Always my pleasure, Chris. Thanks for having me. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. A Maryland widow is suing local funeral home for allegedly staging her husband's cremation. Uh, Demetra Street claims that Wiley Funeral Homes conducted a sham service for her husband, Ivan, back in January because and the reason they had to do this she claims is because days before he had already been buried at the direction of another woman who claimed to be Ivan's wife <laughs> but but was not there's all kinds of strange here Ms. Street accused the funeral home of failing to verify the other woman's claims and ultimately she says the funeral home <clears throat> excuse me, collected payments for both services. The funeral home has denied any wrongdoing. Stay tuned. That's crazy. All right. That's a good way to lead off today's broken news. Elsewhere, a Florida woman is in custody after she was allegedly caught having a little too much fun pleasuring herself in a jail visitation center. <laughs> Authorities say Danielle Ferrero was visiting an inmate at the Charlotte County Jail when she reportedly exposed herself and began touching herself in an intimate way. Uh, those actions apparently followed over an hour of intimate conversation between her and a specific inmate. <laughs> Well, you do what you got to do, I suppose. Uh, she is now facing charges of indecent exposure within a public place and a violation of probation. So apparently she was on probation and this could get <laughs> this could land her back in the slammer. Oops. 
if you didn't count on that. The rest of uh, today's broken news actually comes from the international file. It's always kind of nice to have international stories, just so we know that not all of the dumb people are in this country. <laughs> this is more embarrassing than anything. Animal rescuers were called to a home in Singapore after a woman reported she heard a cobra hissing. Uh, animal welf- uh, the local animal welfare group said a team was dispatched uh, on a report from a resident who heard what she thought could be a dangerous snake hissing in her bedroom. Uh, the resident sent uh, a- the animal uh, rescue group a recording of the noise that she heard, and the rescuers agreed that it sounded like a black spitting cobra, very venomous species. So they arrived and searched the home for nearly an hour before one of the rescue team discovered the source of the hissing was actually the woman's electric toothbrush. (laughs) The uh, woman said she discovered the toothbrush was malfunctioning because it had gotten water into the battery compartment. So, (laughs) problem there. All's well that ends well, but rather embarrassing. (laughs) It's not a snake at all. It is your electric toothbrush. Uh, In Japan, you know, they recently uh, concluded the Tokyo Olympics, and uh, the mayor of a Japanese village has found himself on the wrong side of public approval when he was photographed taking off his mask so that he could bite the gold medal of Olympian Mugoto. She was the pitcher of Japan's softball team, won the gold medal, and uh, she has uh, quite the expression on her face as she watches the mayor of her city bite down on the gold medal. Because, you know, that's the, you know, that's the old stereotype. You've got gold, you check it by uh, kind of biting into it because gold is typically very soft. But if you have an Olympic medal, the last thing you want is to have teeth marks in it. Now, it doesn't say whether or not the teeth marks uh, are permanent. The big concern, though, is over hygiene in the area era of coronavirus. Uh, the uh, mayor, Taka, Takashi Kawamura, has since offered to replace the gold medal. I don't know how he expects to do that. But he is in more hot water. That's not where the story ends. He's even in even more hot water after reportedly propositioning the Olympian. <laughs> he, he can be overheard uh, asking her out on a date. <clears throat> uh, the uh, mayor, Kawamura, has since apologized for both public gaffes. And uh, Ms. Goto is on her way to getting a replacement medal. Um. The uh, mayor's star continues to fall. He was yanked from Saturday's Paralympics torch event (laughs) in Japan as a result of all of this. As for the people who run the Olympics, the International Olympic Committee clarified on Twitter, quote, we want to officially confirm that the Tokyo 2020 medals are not edible. (laughs) You would think that that would go without saying, but apparently not. And finally... In the broken news this morning, did you hear about this? A slice of cake from Princess Diana and Prince Charles' wedding in 1981 has been auctioned off for more than $2,500. A 
a private collector by the name of Jerry Layton from Leeds purchased the slice through Dominic Winter Auctioneers uh, in, uh, in England. The late Princess Diana and Prince Charles were married at St. Paul's Cathedral in London, July 29th, 1981. They auctioned off a slice of wedding cake. And somebody paid 2500 bucks for it. Well, I guess it is a very unusual commemorative item. That's for sure. There you go. Uh, that is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. It's the WFIN Virtual Car Show. Get them out, shine them up, and upload a pic of your classic, and we'll post it to WFIN.com for everybody to see. In addition, we'll have an online car show calendar so that you know when and where all the area shows are. It's chrome and horsepower on display online. The WFIN Virtual Car Show and Calendar. Thanks to Details Auto Spa, Loret Chevrolet Cadillac, and 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. It seems that young people are gaining a new appreciation and affinity for classical music. According to joint research by the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, the French music streaming service Deezer, and the British Phonographic Industry, which is kind of like the Recording Academy in this country, but the British version of it, last year... 34% of those streaming classical music were between the ages of 18 to 25. One third of those listening to classical music were between the ages of 18 to 25. And classical streams by listeners under the age of 35 were up by 17% overall. And guess what's driving it? Uh, what's behind it? It says many people got their first exposure to this kind of music by watching videos on TikTok. <laughs> I kid you not. Uh, that's a TikTok and other online platforms where uh, users will either use classical music as background music for their videos or will post videos uh, of classical music specifically. For instance, one oboe player who does that, Spencer Rubin, tells the New York Post, I think with social media, we're able to destigmatize the sense that classical music is super fancy and needs to be perfect and, and all of that. Bring it to the masses. Now, before you start shaking your head and lamenting how social media now runs our lives, and here's another example of that, kind of dismiss that. Remember that our generation <laughs> learned about classical music from Bugs Bunny cartoons. <laughs> so it's basically the same thing, uh, just updated for a new generation. You know, get it? Once again, my wife has joined us in the studio, and it is time for another collection of recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. Welcome, Kyra. Good morning. Thanks for uh, being with us once again today. Oh, you're welcome. Finish up the week. Um, we've <laughs> like got I a, have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> you always have a choice. You don't have to do <laughs> no, have to do these uh, recipes, kidding. but our ratings would go down if you uh, oh, if you did, uh, just simply because trip. yeah. <laughs> Such a uh, popular segment to uh, finish up each week. And uh, we have a great collection of recipes today. Um, once again, we tried these out uh, this week. Yep. And indeed, uh, they are really, really good. Yeah. Um, 
the Monte Cristo. What do you want to do first? You want to do the uh, sliders or the jam Let's for the slider? Let's do the, the jam first. Okay, so that's the reason I did the sliders. Because <laughs> a good friend of mine gave me the wild blackberries to make the jam. And then I was like, okay, so. Let's- Let's try this on the on the show. I, you know, I, I <laughs> thought this was a, a great idea. Yeah. Uh, because, yeah, we did get uh, some wild uh, black raspberries. Blackberries. blackberries, yep. blackberries uh, uh, from... Yeah. Uh, from a friend, yeah, and uh, so you turn them into into jam, yes, and uh, then what do we get? What can we use these for? Yes, Monte Cristo yes. sandwiches. Yeah, uh, so it's a, a great combination. Let's start with the jam, okay. and this is surprisingly easy. Oh, so easy! I couldn't believe how easy it was, and I'm I've never. I mean, I've made jam. I usually do like the strawberry, so you have to have the gelatin and all that. Just and this. You didn't, and yeah. it was it was really easy. So you take uh, four cups of black raspberries, two cups of sugar, and two tablespoons of lemon juice. So place your uh, raspberries, your sugar, and your lemon juice in a medium-sized saucepan. You got to make sure you have room um, in the pan to br- because you don't want it to. It's going to cook for a while, so right. you're going to... It's going to bubble up. Yeah, and, it'll bubble and up, and so you don't want it to bubble over. So not to the top. Correct. The, yeah, make <laughs> sure pan. it doesn't go to the top. If right. it goes to the top, then you need to find a different pan. <laughs> <laughs> so cook the raspberries on medium heat until they are they start releasing their juices. Um, use a spoon. Then once they start releasing their juices, they're going to get really soft. You can use a spoon then to crush your raspberries, um, kind of um, put them up against the pan. The side of the pan, yep. sure. Yeah. Yep, and just kind of crush them. Uh, and then uh, turn your heat up to high and boil rapidly. Um, that helps with the thickening process. Um, probably, you're going to probably continue to boil for about another 15, 20 minutes. Okay. Um, uh, one of the suggestions that I saw was take a little bit of the juice, put it on a plate, put it in the freezer, and if it gels up, in the freezer, then it's done, ready to go. Hmm. So I had to how do long, it. How long will that take to gel up? Oh, just a couple minutes. It oh, didn't okay. take that long at all. all right. So yeah, it was a couple minutes. Um, the first time I did it, it wasn't quite thick enough. So then I cooked them for a little okay. while longer. And the second time then I tested, it was good to go. Every time you test, take your take it off of the uh, burner and then bring it just back. Just in case it's ready. Yeah, it <laughs> you just, don't want to yeah, overdo it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. correct. So take it off the burner. So then once that's done, um, then place your place the jam in your jars. And then um, I don't have a canning um, pan, so I just used my Dutch, my big, my big um, Dutch pan, my bigger pan, mm-hmm. and put like five or six jars in there with some water, put the lid on, uh, let it boil for about five minutes. Uh, take it off of the uh, stove, and then um, let it sit for about five minutes, and then take them out, and they're sealed up and ready to go. And Simple you got it for about that. a year. Uh, again, you want to leave a little headspace in the jars. Yeah, yeah okay, a little so. headspace. Okay. Just yeah, just a little bit. So. And so there you go. Yeah, there uh, you go. Wild black raspberry yep. jam. It is super easy and very yummy to go yep. along with the Monte Cristo sliders. Yes. So uh, 12, count, uh, 12 count of your slider buns, uh, 12 slices of deli ham, 12 slices of your turkey, uh, six slices of baby Swiss cheese, because you're going to divide that, uh, two tablespoons of uh, two tablespoons of Dijon mustard for taste. If you don't want the Dijon mustard, you don't mm-hmm. have to. Um, but it 
it's but really that does good. give it yeah, the Monte it Cristo it, yeah, taste. The taste, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, Especially balancing out against the sweetness of the correct, jam. Correct. Yeah. So, quarter cup of butter melted, two tablespoons of powdered sugar, one tablespoon of mustard, and then your blackberry preserves for mm-hmm. your to dunk it in. Right. Uh, so, preheat your oven to 350 degrees, spray 11 inch uh, rectangle baking sheet with nonstick cooking spray, remove the tops from the buns, spread your Dijon mustard on each uh, slab on the bottom, uh, layer the sliders as followed. You want to do your cheese, then your ham, then your turkey, and then your remaining cheese. Put your tops back on. Uh, then in a, sp- in a small bowl, combine your butter, your powdered sugar, and your mustard, and brush on top of the rolls, and bake in a preheated oven, 350-degree oven, for about 25 minutes. Cool slightly. Cut your sliders uh, with a knife, and uh, if desired, serve with your preserved, your berry preserves. Yeah, and the, the powdered sugar goes on top if you if like you the want. powdered yeah, sugar. I, d- we, I yeah, didn't, didn't do that. that. Yeah, uh, Because neither yeah. neither of us prefers right. the powdered you can put, sugar. If you want to put more powdered sugar on top, you know, if you like that, yeah. go for it. Yeah. <laughs> we, but, don't, we don't And like I know that. that's what makes yeah. a Monte Cristo a Monte Cristo yeah. technically, yeah. but uh, it's yeah. just not something. And that deep fried, can, and, and I mean, yeah. there's all kinds of ways you can yeah. have a Monte Cristo. But this but, is, yeah. but these are really good and pretty doggone easy. And easy and good to, and good reheated yeah oh yes so. they are they are uh very good reheated yeah. as well maybe even better reheated yeah. because it gives a chance for all of those yeah. flavors to, to kind, kind of, of melt yeah. through the Come. sandwich so yep. yep i really liked them uh <laughs> as leftovers <laughs> and uh, then for dessert speaking of easy uh we've got a no-bake cookie no recipe bake cookies yep. so this one is one stick of butter three tablespoons of cocoa one cup of sugar one cup of brown sugar a half a cup of milk, a half a cup of peanut butter, three and a half cups of your quick oats, and one tablespoon of vanilla extract. So place your butter, your sugar, your milk, your cocoa in a medium saucepan over medium heat. Bring to a boil, stirring occasionally. Once the mixture is at a rolling boil, boil for one minute. You don't want to go over because that's what (laughs) makes your cookies dry. Okay. Um, While cocoa mixture is cooking, measure out the oatmeal, place it in a large bowl, remove the pan from the heat, uh, stir in the peanut butter and the vanilla. Then uh, stir that all up until the peanut butter is melted. Then pour that over your oats. Mix well. uh, Drop by uh, uh, spoonfuls. Um, It's about two tablespoons or so onto, um, I just put mine on wax paper. And uh, let it sit at room temperature until it's cooled and hardened, about 20 to 30 minutes. You can enjoy, or you can store the cookies in an air airtight container for three to four days or in the fridge for a little bit longer. There you go. Uh, simple. They don't last three or four days at our house. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we never have to worry have about to the no-bake cooking They will cookies. be gone, and that is not a good thing. <laughs> never have to worry about the no-bake cookies uh, sitting around for very long, nope. long enough to go bad. Yep. So there you go, the uh, recipe for the wild black raspberry jam, the Monte Cristo sliders, and the no-bake cookies. You can find those on the WFIN Facebook page, and that, of course, is linked up at goodmornings.net. More recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. My wife, Kyra, with us this morning. Kai, thanks very much. You're welcome. And that will put a wrap on our podcast for today and finish up the week. If you want more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the program, you can head to our webpage, that is goodmornings.net. 
Uh, you can also connect with us on social media. Contact us directly via email. Sign up for our daily email newsletter. It's all there. Uh, again, bookmark our page. Check back every day. Goodmornings.net. So until Monday morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day, a great weekend, and we'll catch you back here next week.